welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. All right, well, um, so good to be back. Um, I was sick, if you can't tell, this last week. And, uh, but we had some, uh, I just love the ministry runs, no matter what. You guys were ready to meet. Alex, thank you so much for preaching last week on John chapter 4. Um, and so um, we're going to backpedal and finish the chapter 3 of John tonight. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 32 to... 36, 22 to 36, return there. <coughs> so, um, I, uh, I have a message for you, I can't wait to share it, um, but this message is really about John the Baptist, and um, not if you've, not your head if you've heard of John the Baptist. So, I see some heads nodding. So, John the Baptist's life really started off with a bang, um, he was amassing followers. Mark chapter 1 says that crowds were coming from everywhere to hear this man. He was um, he was kind of dressed funny. He was, you know, he wore some sackcloth. He, he was on the uh, Baptist, Baptist, Baptist diet. You ever heard of the Baptist diet? So you're like, I, that sounds great. What is it? It's, it's uh, locusts and honey. So I don't know if you want to get on that. But that's what John the Baptist ate. He lived in the wilderness. Um, and he was kind of the anti church planner because he was like, well, let me go as far in the wilderness as possible. Let me eat weird things. Let me dress in weird things. And God bless his ministry anyway. <laughs> and people were just coming out to him and hearing the word. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, the beginning of his life was really remarkable. But at the time we hear from John in chapter 3, this is kind of the second half of his life. And if you really stand back and look at his life, from a worldly perspective, you could say that, man, John's life seemed to really not matter in the second half of his life. Because when you step back, you'll see that today, um, John is going to lose some followers to Jesus. He's going to say to his followers, hey, go follow Jesus. Don't follow me anymore. After building this massive church, massive following, he's sending people to Jesus. Hey, go follow Jesus. <coughs> and then later, his life Anybody remember how his life ends? Anybody remember? Yeah, he's, he gets beheaded. And in a really unfortunate story, you know, you'll have to read it. Um, but if you look at his life, it starts out with such momentum and just seems to trail off. It seems like it never amounted to much. But I want to I wanna argue tonight that John's life mattered to God. And that's my title. Um, my title is A Life That Matters to God. And um, I want you to have a life that matters to God. Do you want that? Is that something that you desire? Because John had it. You know, a, a lot of people have, um, even, you know, regardless of your political affiliation or, or religious affiliation, everyone kind of wants a life that matters, right? You don't have to be religious to say what to have to think. Man, I want my life to count for something. And so I, um, I, I googled, you know, how to have a life that matters. 
So I just wanted to see the world's opinion on this. So here's, here's what our world, here's what Google, the, the great company Alphabet, would tell you you want to have a life that matters. So number one, uh, don't rely on others' approval. Pretty good. Uh, be sure to do what you love. Just do what you love. If you love cutting your grass, just do that. And you'll have a life that matters. Uh, how to have a life that matters. Manage your social media intake. Oh, that's it. You want to have a life that counts? Manage your social media intake. That's what you should do. That's pathetic. <laughs> Thanks, move. I do I even keep reading these are terrible. Um, have the courage to do what matters. Let's not define what matters. Let's just say let's just say what matters in a sentence and maybe you'll think it's what matters. <laughs> have the courage to do what matters. I'm here because I don't know what matters. Usually <laughs> how to have a life for this. Number three, discover what matters again. Discover what matters. No, I'm Google. It doesn't work. But anyway, I Googled that because I wanted to prove the point that no matter who you are, you, you want your life to matter. <coughs> you want your life to matter. And your life can matter. Because biblically, um, there are some characteristics in a life that matter to God. And that's what I want to bring up tonight. Three characteristics in a life that matters to God, out of the, out of the life of John. So let's read the text. Uh, read with me, John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, and after this, of course, is referring to his interaction with Nicodemus. Uh, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he reminded them there an event and was baptizing John also was baptizing, as John the Baptist, at Canaan, near Salim, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming in being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now that um, phrase, John had not yet been put in prison, literally just serves to tell us that this is all prior to Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 16. Because um, uh, Jesus or uh, John is put in prison, so this just says, "Hey, before then, uh, this is all occurred before then." Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples. Now, this is not a discussion; this is an argument. But if you know a married couple, this is what they call arguments, right? Are you guys having an argument? No, we're having a discussion. <laughs> a discussion, not an argument. We don't have arguments, Meg, right? Now, a discussion or an argument arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification or ceremonial washing or baptism here. And they came to John and said to him, now something in this argument um, seemed to rub them the wrong way. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to him whom you bear witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going with him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing 
unless it is given to him forever. You yourselves bear me witness. You know that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is not complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who speaks, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in the earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and gives all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. That's the word of God. So, the first thing we see in verse 22 is that Jesus has gone from the urban to the rural. He's gone from um, Galilee, doing, uh, making the wine into water, or walk, making the water into water. Well, that'd be a miracle. <coughs> so he's gone from Galilee, and then he's gone from Jerusalem, and he's now come out to the countryside. He's went from Chicago to Rockford, right? Because that's kind of a rural, or maybe to Freeport. That's more rural, right? So he's gone from Chicago to Freeport. And he's also, he's now joined his older cousin. Because you remember, John the Baptist is Jesus' older cousin, right? Because um, Elizabeth, John's mom, came to Mary, and she was like, oh, you're pregnant too. And John leapt in her womb, right? Nod your head if you remember that story. And um, that's, that's kind of a weird, I wonder how that felt, you know. So anyway, the, the cousins are back together. And John, again, he's this fiery, unfortunately dressed, unique guy, man, and he's preaching. But think about the richness of preaching going on in, in the countryside, um, here in the Judean, Judean countryside. Two great preachers. Think about the intersection of them. Never, have, never has such great preaching been heard in this area. Just the hills, the, the, uh, the dry hills were awash with beautiful teaching of the gospel. And so Jesus again joins his cousin, but an argument comes out because Jesus' arrival has almost made John the Baptist less relevant, right? It's kind of like when a new product comes out. The new one always supersedes the old one, kind of like Blockbuster and Netflix. It's like, no one goes to Blockbuster anymore. Or like a CD is to iTunes, right? No one walks around with CDs, right? Oh, Hope it doesn't skip, you know. Oh, what was that? I have to rewind. Like I literally remember driving in the car going like this with my Walkman or my CD player, like hoping that I was not going to miss a second of Hank the Cowboy. <laughs> anyway, so Jesus's arrival has literally—he's um, making John less relevant because he's taking followers, and that's when we see this. These disciples come up to John. And they say, Rabbi, Rabbi, and it's not even a question. They're not even here to ask him a, a deep theological question. That's what you do with rabbis, right? 
That's what you do with good teachers. You ask them questions. Well, what they're about to do is just say a provocative statement. They're just trying to provoke him into anger. Rabbi, look. He who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing all are going with him. What do you think they're trying to get from Jesus here? There's no positive thing that they could be getting. This is a, this is, they're trying to make John uh, upset. But John doesn't care because a life that matters to God, number one, submits to his will. Submits to God's will. That's my point number one. Is it up there? A life that matters to God submits to his will. <coughs> so you can write that down for the first part. You know, John has spent his life up to this point in service of God. And his followers are now reminding him that his reward is now to lose everything. Hey, John, look, we built this thing, man. We were preaching. We had this church. So many people were coming out to us. And now this guy across the river, he's taken all your followers. But I love what he says. And I spent some time meditating on this verse this week. Because it's so... So precious in the verse. John, rather than react, because I'm sure he had to battle that, and all my followers will with him. He says, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him by God. There is not one thing that I have that I have not been given. There's not one talent that I have that has not been given. There's not one job that I've ever had that has not been given. There's not one opportunity that I've ever received that has not been given from above. It's all from God. And so if I have anything, it's from God. And so if I'm losing anything, it's from God too. Here is John submitting his life to the will of God. It is God's will, he's saying to his followers, that Jesus is to gain more and more followers. And now it's easy for, from our perspective to look and say, well, of course John's giving his followers to Jesus. It's Jesus. <coughs> but imagine you're spending your life building something. Building a business. Building a church. Building a, a, a new invention. Only to hand it off in the last stage and watch someone else take credit for it. That's what happened to John here. But I love John's view. He, he literally sees everything he has, every situation in his life, as something that has been given, and therefore it cannot be held on to. Another great illustration in the Bible of this is, is, a, is a man named Job. You see, Job was a really wealthy man, and, um, uh, and you know that because he had a lot of cattle and sheep and oxen. That was kind of a flex, a biblical flex. If you want to flex, that's what you say, look at my flocks. <laughs> and so Job had flocks and he had, he had a lot of riches but he was also really godly and so Satan came to God one day and said yeah he's godly but he won't be godly if you take his stuff and so God said okay take his stuff and so God allowed Satan to take all of his livestock and he actually allowed him to take even his family's lives 
And so Job lost everything. And in Job chapter 2, his wife says to him, after all this is going on, he has lost everything. He says, his wife says to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we? And I love this. This is, this is why. You ready for this? Shall we receive good from God and not evil? Job says. You see, Job is at the bottom. He's lost everything. And his wife says, God did this. Curse God and die. And he says, can we receive good and not evil from the Lord? I love that. <coughs> it's a life that's submitting oneself to the will of God. That is such a sweet disposition to God. A person, a Christian that is saying, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a quality in a life that matters to God. You want to have a life that matters to God? That's a quality. Submission to God's will. What does that look like? It looks like wrestling your heart into a place of peace with God's will. Things like, I'm not married yet, but I will submit to God's will. That's not my. That's not where I'm at yet. That's okay. I don't have that job that I love yet, but I'm gonna submit to God's will. That doesn't mean you go out. It, that doesn't mean you don't go out and look for that job. But it just means while you have it, you're content. You're saying, Lord, this is what you have for me this season. And you see that in John. In John the Baptist, he's sitting there, he's watching his life work go to another. Rightfully, rightfully, rightfully. But he's so good to hand to counsel his own heart and to shepherd his followers in the submitting to the will of God. But we also see him, number two, um, a life that matters to God prizes his son. A life that matters to God prizes his son. Prizes Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 28, it says, You yourselves bore me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I was sent before. He's just going back and repeating. Look, you, you know that my whole message was like, it's not me, it's Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. If you were at any of my sermons, you would know that. And I'm just going to give you that same sermon again. Look, it's about Jesus. And then it gives him this illustration about the bridegroom and the bride and the friend, right? So the friend of the bride here is kind of what we would call the best man or the man of honor. And what he's saying is that literally the job of the best man What's the job of the best man? I mean, let's, let's just discuss this for a second. What's the job of the best man? Okay. To make, to make a speech. You're to, you're to get excited about the dude getting married. He's your best friend, right? And if you're the maid of honor, your job is to get excited about your girl getting married. Right? This is my best friend. She's finally getting married. I'm excited for her. Like, how weird would it be if the best man was like, Psh, why ain't I getting the bride? <laughs> like that'd be the worst best man speech ever. He gets up there, but seriously, 
Why not use the drive? That's that's the that's that, that's not what a best man does. And so that's that's the point of this illustration is saying like, look, I'm the, my job's now complete. It says the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is not complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Hey, if you're looking for a best man speech, there you go, right there. Yeah. Verse 31, and so he's going he's to continue. And I love that attitude. Christ is increasing, I must decrease. And he's going to continue, and he's going to contrast Christ with himself. Because John prizes God's Son. He says in verse 31, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth, me, John the Baptist, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and what he has heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives his spirit without man. The Father loves his Son and has given all things in his hand. You see, God loves his Son. God loves his Son. Right there, the Father loves his Son and has given all things in his hand. And so God's heart moves toward those who love what he loves. Do you love his Son? Do you love God's Son? John here is pouring out his heart to his disciples. He's saying, look, you guys are missing it. You guys don't understand. This is whom I am was sent. This is the reason I was sent. This is the man. This is Christ. God loves his Son. I love his Son. You should love his Son. A good example of this um, is, is found in Luke chapter 10. In a, in a woman named Martha. And there's two sisters. And there's one who's busy. Right? Let me pray this, pray this story before. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house. And in verse 39, it says, Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve? Don't you care, Lord, that I signed up for everything on the list and she signed up for nothing? To the Christmas party? <laughs> but the Lord answered her, Martha, you are anxious about many, troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, for it will not be taken away from her. <coughs> Excuse me. So in this story we find that Mary has chosen a good portion. They, see, they're both at the table. They're both spending time with Jesus, but one prizes Jesus over the other. One is enjoying the moment. One is sitting at his feet. And that's, that is what it takes to have a life that matters to God. It's a life that prizes his son. Do you prize God's son? 
And I wonder if you could take the way that you speak on a day-to-day basis, maybe with your closest friends, when you're talking about spiritual things. Does the way that you speak show that you love Christ? Do you have that? Uh, would somebody get that just from the way that you talk, from the way that they interact? So John prizes his son, and then number, number three, the life that matters to God obeys his word. It obeys his word. Obedience. Some of you are like, no, 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 that's legalism. No, that's Christianity. Obedience, I'm going to prove to you. Verse 36. This might be surprising to you. I want you guys to pay attention to this verse. So if you have your Bibles again, if you're like, if you put it away, you're like, I'm done. No, get it back out. This is really important for you to see with your own eyes. Here you go. Verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I won't say check if you see it. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay. This first really threw me for a loop this week because I was like, okay, whoever believes will have life. Whoever does not believe, wait, what? It says whoever does not obey. Right? Does anyone see that? That the word obey is equated to the word believe here. It says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, the Son shall not see life. You see, John here ties belief to obey because it is what always follows belief. Because obedience always follows belief. You don't have to be, you don't have to obey to get into the kingdom of God. You have to believe. You have to trust Christ. But obedience always follows belief. It is so interconnected. Later in John, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Uh, in Luke chapter 11, uh, a woman cries out, Blessed is, the, is your mother. She, you know, she raised you well. And he says, No, blessed rather are those who... Well, he doesn't say no. He doesn't want to hear it. He says, Yes, but blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Those who obey. Blessed and happy are those who obey. Because the heart of obedience matters to God. You know, this is actually the main lesson that I'm trying to teach in my home right now. Not with my wife. <laughs> my wife and I are together trying to teach obedience to our little one and a half year old. This is like the biggest thing. Like, if you don't have a kid, like, this is the biggest thing from zero to four. Right, Paul? Never get it right. <laughs> the pressure's on. <laughs> I gotta go, actually. <laughs> um, it's like the biggest thing that we're working on. And so every day it's like, no, we gotta win the battle. And like, no, uh, when she goes to it, we have to discipline her. And she needs, we're, we're working on obedience. And like, <clears throat> she has this thing where at dinner, you know, you throw some noodles. Like, even early the, earlier this week, she's eating some noodles on a little plate, you know. She's like, you know, eats it like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cute. It's cute. Um, and uh, then she goes, she like takes a bite and she goes, ah, dad. And, uh, and I, you know, no, that doesn't mean, ah, dad. It, it literally means all done. 
And that's, it may seem cute to you, but it's an act of rebellion in my heart. <laughs> it's a straight, bold-faced act of rebellion. And, uh, and so we're really working on it. We're really working on it. And, um, but the days that Lady, that's my daughter's name, the days that we don't have to, to discipline her, and the days that she obeys, are days that are very happy for me. Right, Megs? There are days, like, there are days I get a text, and it's like, Lenny actually ate her food, and she didn't scream. And her days brighten, my days brighten, I'm like, my daughter obeyed. It's just so, it brings so much joy to my heart when my daughter obeys. And it brings so much joy to my heart when I don't have to have an all-out war over spaghetti. <laughs> and the same is true with God. God loves and we obey. His heart is moved. His heart is, is pleased by obedience. And it's not what earns us salvation. It is not what earns us into His kingdom. But the heart of obedience is very pleasing to God. And it's, it's created by the Holy Spirit in you. And so early on, again, go back to my daughter, obedience is force. But once a person is saved, it's a natural outflow, right? Right now, we have to we have to force obedience. It's like if you're going to live in my home, you must obey. That's the guidelines. But when a person is saved, obedience always follows because their heart has been changed. Heart has been changed. And and John the Baptist's life really was marked by obedience. It really was. He went to prison. He went to the end of his life, and he was put to death by King Herod. But he gave his life away. By earthly standards, you would have looked at him and said, ah, that's not worthy of a billboard. That's not worthy of a sword. But to God, his life matters. His life counted. His life amounted to something. And it was because he submitted to God's will. He said, Lord, whatever comes, I will accept. Whatever role you have for me, I will walk in. And I, and I don't know about you, I love that. I want that heart. Because I don't always have that. I get up in the morning, I say, Lord, I want that heart. I want to be able to look at what you've given me and say, yes, yes. I want to have a life that matters to God. John the Baptist did. So how about you? Is your life marked by submission to the Lord, Christ in Christ, obedience? You just thought it might be a hint to you. It might be time to examine yourself. You know, that's a biblical thing, to examine our ways, to examine to see. Um, we're called to examine ourselves, see if we're in the faith. That's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Because if, if there is no obedience in your life, it might be a sign that you're not saved. That you don't know Christ. That your life is not, does not matter. So I just want you to think about it. But as always, when we open the scriptures, Jesus is calling to us. Jesus is calling to you. Even tonight, as we, even tonight, as we open this, He's calling to you to reject your sin that you've been holding on to to purpose a new way to follow Him. That's what He's calling us to do tonight.
The good news is He promises to help us. He can make our life better. Just trust His life. Just trust Jesus. He was God. Just trust Him today. Trust that He lived perfectly, that He died and that He rose to satisfy God's wrath. To forgive your sin and to give you power to walk a new way, to obey. You can't obey on your own strength. My daughter can't obey. You have to force obedience. Salvation is what creates obedience. Creates the, the ability to obey. And so I pray, I'm praying that for our group, for genuine salvation, for genuine walking with the Lord. I want that for our group. And if you're saving here, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that God loves you. And that these qualities are in you and increasing. And I want you to lead into those. I want you to press into those. Yes, the Christmas season's coming. There's a lot of busyness. But as much as you can, hold out your hand to God and say, whatever comes, Lord, I will accept it. Whatever comes, I will trust you. Whatever comes, I will, I will prize Christ. Whatever comes, I will prioritize obedience. Lead into that belief. And you will be blessed. God loves you. Here's for you. Let's pray. <coughs> God, we're blessed in the story of John the Baptist. Lord, a man who cared, a man who loved you, a man who gave everything to see people saved, a man who was happy to share the spotlight and give it up. Pray that you create more of us like that. Lord, more of Lord John the Baptist in this room, Lord, that you would raise up in your strength. Lord, you know that we can't do it in our own strength or by some discipleship program or, or night program. Lord, we can't do that. Lord, it has to be your Holy Spirit. And so raise up a generation of young adults in the city of Rockford that are passionate over your name. Lord, that aren't passionate about pity things in this world that don't pay anything. Lord, the, the worthless things that so many people pursue, Lord, that are worthless. But Lord, your Lord has told us that they are worthless. And I pray that we would pick up your word. Lord, give us faith to walk forward, Lord, to walk together, to challenge each other, to love one another, to help one another, to pray for one another. Lord, I pray for small groups, Lord, directed discussion in the way that you can see fit. In your son's name, amen.